Welcome to Homegrown Conversations, a collaboration between KFSK and the Petersburg Public Library. I'm Kari Peterson. Today's show is dedicated to local civil rights pioneer Amy Hollingstead. Amy passed away in 1973, and her son Jonas Hollingstead passed away in 2021. What follows is an edited version of a listening project recording done in 2011 for the Petersburg Public Library. In this recording, Jonas talks with Colin Lyons, Skip Hollingstead, Brenda Louise, and Jessica Iremia about the work his mother, Amy Hollingstead, did during her time to gain equal rights for the Native peoples of Alaska. February 16th is Elizabeth Pradovich Day in Alaska. It marks the anniversary of the signing of an anti-discrimination bill passed by the Alaska Territorial Legislature in 1945 a bill that Amy Hollingstead, Elizabeth Pradovich, and many others worked to achieve. The work of fighting for equality that Amy began in the 1920s continues on to this day. The full recording of this listening project can be obtained at the Petersburg Public Library's website, www.psglib.org. Jones Hollingstead, Amy Hollingstead's son. I'm Colin Lyons, Amy's daughter's son, Gertrude, my mother. We're, um, we're really, we're gathered here today to talk about Amy and just recollections that you guys have about her. Well, she was in uh, politics. She was born in Haines, Alaska. She was Clinkett Indian, married a Norwegian. Do you know what clan she was? She's Eagle. Eagle. Eagle clan, killer whale house, and seal clan. Sakwa D, the seal. And Cleetnuck was a killer whale. And Eagle was Eagle. I don't know how to say that one. She got involved with politics uh, when she was a young girl. All the governors and senators and congressmen, whatever. She was a leader of her people, see. In them days, uh, they wouldn't let Indians in any place, like the Elk Moose or whatever. And uh, even here in Petersburg, like when you walked down the street, was there? Um, how was it different? Do you remember how it was different um, than it is today? I mean, well, there was a lot of discrimination, and there's still a lot here. But in our day, it was out in the open. Yeah. And she was fighting that, and she fought the traps, and and uh, fish traps. schools, and she helped get that that fish traps abolished. And by prejudice, even the, all the restaurants and the theaters segregated them. In the theater, they had a certain section that they could sit in. And the restaurants in town wanted to allow them in there. It's 
so she picked it at one time. Here at Petersburg? Yeah. So when she started really going to work on them. Do you remember when that was? She started doing that. Oh, it was, uh, well, she was doing that when I was uh, four or five years old, so she was, I'm not quite sure when it all started, but they had to work their way up. You know, they couldn't vote till, I mean, the, what was it, late 40s or something like that, or even longer than that. I can't remember, but. It wasn't too long ago that they let the Indians vote. And they had their own school out the road here. She fought for to get them in the public school up here, and in 1929, I think, they finally made it. You know how she made that happen? No, I don't. Because as a native, too, you still paid school tax. So she won the right for the natives to attend the school. They're paying tax on it, too. That's how she did that. So natives are paying taxes the same as every other citizen in yeah, we our city, the, but some of them were going to go some to kids were Some kids were going to one school, yeah. and native kids were going to another school. I mean, it was segregated, yeah. Uh, I was like going to say uh, territorial tax and, and uh, federal tax we had to pay starting at 16. Jonas, did you go to a segregated school? No, no, I'm not going. My brother just made it, I could say, uh, in 1920. He was born in 29, so he got to go. But they did have uh, three or four native boys from Cake. I finally got to go to the school, and they won all Alaska championship basketball with them four native boys on the team. First one, 1929. <laughs> so Brenda Louise, Brenda's here. I, I think that one of the things that I wanted to um, have as part of the story is we were visiting a little bit before you got here, and the and Jonas was talking about how um, AMB was established in Petersburg in 1916. Hence, we have Camp 16, <clears throat> and ANS was shortly after that. And um, one of the things that I'd heard was that um, Amy had been holding the ANB and ANS in her house. That was the oh. first camp or where they had their camp meetings. Um, but Jonas had talked a little bit about, you know, before we had Petersburg Indian Association, there was um, AMB and ANS. And then from that came the um, Indian Organiza Reorganization Act. And... And Clink and Hyde, huh? Right. And then finally PIA worked their way up. And those we, meetings in our house, or is that in the house that Skip lives today? No, no, no. This is the house what? down here. The White, White House. Where Ethel and that White House behind yes. it. Okay. Yeah. They call it the Big House. That's why, you know why it was called the Big House? No. Because every time somebody that was running for any seat, governor, whatever, when they came to town, they'd just tell the driver of the cab to take them to the big house. 
because <laughs> they wanted to meet with my grandmother. Because they knew if they wanted my grandmother, they'd win a native boat. She, uh, That's how a lot of them got in office. She told them that Even, she didn't uh, tell her people how to vote. She just told them who she was going to vote for. Same <laughs> <laughs> followed suit, yes. That's uh, a lot of them got in office. Well, she was involved in forming unions, can reunions, and uh, like the traps and uh, welfare for the Indians. They didn't have it. And, well, stuff like that. Schooling, medical. Yeah, she helped set up the... Mount Edgecombe School and Hospital. She, uh, you see, that was a Marine base during the war, and they were going to tear it all down, Mount Edgecombe. So her and a couple others got together, went over and, and talked the government out of it to save it. And that's how the hospital is still there in the school. They had buildings there to turn into government schools, you know. For up north people, it's more the uh, uh, LU, that's the Baskins and Eskimos go there. She saved that. But she wrote the bylaws, the PIA bylaws in '48. But she didn't see, get to see the land claim. She died. Uh, that's just just when we got into it. So she didn't get to see much of the land claims, but she fought all of them, most of her life for it. That's why the Sea Alaska Corporation building in Juneau is dedicated to her, Amy Hollingstead building. And that's why this building here, she's got part of the dedication to her in Throtovich. Yeah. She's a strong leader. And she had ways of putting things across with humor, which caught everybody's attention all the time they listened. And some of the big wheels come down one time wanted to hold a meeting at the Elks and Moose, and she wouldn't do it. And they wouldn't hold a meeting without her, you know. How a politician is, he wants some votes. And uh, finally they settled on the pastime, old pastime cafe down there. And uh, Governor Gruning, I think, was governor then. He got up to make a speech, and he mentioned my mom. I don't know why Amy is so prejudice about white people. She's been married to a white man for 30 years. And then when my ma got up to speech, when she got through with her speech, turned to look at Goonie and said, furthermore, I wasn't married to a white man. I was married to a Norwegian. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where the humor comes in. She was branded with the title of the First Lady of the First People. Oh, I was just looking at the dates. Um, for Grand Camp, uh, Amy was the Alaska 
Native Sisterhood Grand Camp President um, in 1945 to 1948. So that was right when the <coughs> passage of that legislation that we have Elizabeth Pradovich Day for um, the ending of Jim Crow. And then uh, she was a grand president from 1953 to 1955. Seven or eight years there. But when she got grand camp here to Petersburg, that's when she said, that's enough now. She felt that's enough for, for what? I mean, for her? For, she did enough, put it that way. If you are just joining us, this is Homegrown Conversations, a collaboration between KFSK and the Petersburg Public Library. I'm Kari Peterson. Today's show is dedicated to local civil rights pioneer Amy Hollingstead. Amy passed away in 1973 and her son Jonas Hollingstead passed away in 2021. Um, what follows is some excerpts from a listening project recording done in 2011 11 for the Petersburg Public Library. In this recording, Jonas talks with Colin Lyons, Skip Hollingstead, Brenda Louise, and Jessica Iremia about the work his mother Amy Hollingstead did during her time to gain equal rights for the Native peoples of Alaska. I'd like to read this letter that Amy wrote. Um, this was uh, December 19, 1947, and it was going to Mrs. Ruth Muskrat Bronson, Secretary of the National Congress of Indians in Washington, D.C. Dear Mrs. Bronson, here in the land of Santa Claus, Christmas will bring little cheer to our children this year. We natives, 35,000 Eskimos, Indians, Elliots, are half the Alaska's permanent population. We must watch our children die of diseases that come from cold and lack of food. Our homes and lands, our fisheries and trees, our trap lines, reindeer, and everything we possess is being seized or threatened by unscrupulous white men who tell us what they are doing and what <clears throat> what they are doing to us in that has been approved in Washington. All of the promises that have come to us from Washington are now broken. Presidents and secretaries of the interior have promised us that the last time was in June 1946 that boundaries of our land would be marked out clearly so that no trespasser would take the fish and game and furs that we need to keep our children warm and well-fed through the long Alaskan winter. Now, Secretary Krug, who uh, is supposed to be our guardian, refuses to let this promise be kept. Petitions on his desk from many native villages are still unanswered. Secretary Krug himself promised us on the ninth day of last December that, we, that he would have such a boundary line drawn immediately, beginning with the lands of Klekwan. We promise too, that promise too stands broken. Our friends in the Indian Bureau have made many efforts to hold such hearings. Always Secretary Krug has stopped them. We, have been, we were promised by Secretary Krug on the same day that our farthest north Eskimo town, Barrow, on the Arctic Ocean, would be allowed a town reserved to include its whaling grounds and places where men could dig coal to keep warm through the long winter Arctic night. That promise, too, stands broken. 
We were promised by President Roosevelt, President Hoover, President Coolidge, President Wilson, and even the presidents before their days that our possessions would always be protected. Now, the men in Washington, who are supposed to be our protectors, say that the big corporations can take our trees, our minerals, and our lands without asking our per permission or paying us. One of our Eskimo boys was arrested and thrown into jail when he tried to mine jade on the land that belonged to his own people. One of our Indian men was arrested when he tried to fish in the fishing ground that has always been belonged to the people of his house. Now the agricultural department men threaten to arrest us if we cut down our own trees. We are wondering if they expect us to live in the snow and keep warm in the winter by burning ice. Now, a bill has just been introduced in Congress by the hands of the Indian Affairs Committee, who are supposed to protect us. That would take away our reservations, which are homes and our promised land. Where can we go then? We are not like white men who are always moving. Most of our homes and villages have been right where they are um, now for many hundreds of generations. We know this to be true because animals that have not roamed on earth for thousands of years are sometimes found in the dump heaps of our villages. Taking our land from us means driving us off the face of the earth. When we were under the Russian czars, they said that nobody should take our positions without our consent. When they sold Alaska, they did not consult us. But they asked the United States to promise that our land's uh, rights would be respected. That promise is set out in the treaty, but no longer observed. Congress, in 1884, promised that the lands we claim then should never be disturbed. In 1900 and in 1936, that promise was renewed. When Secretary of the Interior takes his oath of office, he promises to ex execute all of the laws of the United States. But now our Secretary says he will not execute the laws that the Congress has passed to safeguard our possessions. Instead, he sends doctors to investigate our chests, and they report that our people are dying of tuberculosis ten times as rapidly as other people in the United States. We could have told him that a year ago when he toured Alaska, if he stopped at our Indian villages instead of spending all of his time at luncheons and party, part, parties given by Chamber of Commerce while in white towns. We could tell him now, if he asks us, that we will be able to afford decent food and clothing and better housing and bring up our children as we would like them brought up if he would only carry out the promise that he and other secretaries of the interior before him have made to protect our lands and possessions. We have gone to schools and learned how to operate sawmills and canneries and in the most modern way. Now that we are attempting to do this with our own resources, everything is taken from us and we are thrown into jail. Why? Why are we suddenly to be made what you call displaced persons? It is because our skins are not as light as yours, but the Declaration of Independence you brought to us says that all men were created equal. Your Constitution promises that the property rights of all men, not just white men, must be safeguarded. And the Bible that you brought to us and translated into our native tongue says that we are all brothers and children of God. It does not say that all right for white men to rob men of copper skin. Is this done to us on the ground that we are not citizens? But your Congress passed a law in 1924 making us citizens, and that law is still alive. Is this done to us because the Secret Secretary Ike's 
tried to protect our land and because we are told many people in Washington do not like him? Is that why the reservations that were established by other secretaries of interior were allowed to sand when the reservations that are marked off for us are being wiped out? But do we not pick secretaries of the interior, though we wish we could? We have thought about this matter and talked about it in long evenings past the autumn. We have decided that the real reason why our positions are being taken from us is that we are human beings and not the wolves or the bears. The men in Washington have set aside many millions of acres which wolves and bears may not be disturbed, and nobody objects to that. Perhaps if we were wolves or bears, we could, as, could have just as much protection, but we are only human beings. There are no closed season when it comes to skinning Alaskan natives. You have asked us not to lose faith in the American people, but to tell our story to those who will listen. And so we are asking Santa Claus, when he rides through the Alaska this year, on his way south to gather the cities of our children and to take to them the sleigh bells of, to the hearts of men and women in the states who dare to raise their voices in behalf, in our behalf and to insist that their public servants, servants in Washington shall not enrich their friends by giving away our trees, our fisheries, our trap lines, our lands, and our homes. With God's help, we will still have what our parents passed on to us that we may turn, in turn pass them on to our children and our children's children forever. Respectfully yours, Amy Hollingstead. That letter read by Brenda Louise was written by Amy Hollingstead in 1947 to the Secretary of Congress of Indians. And up next, Brenda reads a telegram that the family received from the president of Sea Alaska Corporation upon Amy's passing in 1973. We mourn the passing of the First Lady of the First People. She was renowned and respected by all Alaskans before she died. She, was, she greatly affected the advancement of her people. She actively supported the land claims many long years. I cannot begin to acknowledge my, my debt to her leadership and inspiration. She encouraged and inspired us, schooled us, but always in loving and without bitterness or jealousy. She had charm and wit that enlivened the most informal or highly formal occasions. She believed in the youth and in the future. Anyone who knew her couldn't think of her without smiling. John Burbage wrote that. And telegram. This was a telegram, and this is, and he was the president of Sea Alaska. Sea Alaska. At the time. Yeah. At the time. Quite a remarkable woman. It's a really remarkable. Her writing is so. It blows me away, and it's really forethinking. Skip, is that where that one quote came from in the article? Yeah, the one I showed you that was kind of... Oddly enough, that was a, a little quote from a some native newsletter magazine in the Midwest. I think it was called the White Feather Journal. And yeah, that was a quotation kind of in the, off to the sidelines there that they had uh, of just prominent native uh, figures uh, speaking... Uh, 
and uh, yeah, that was the one that was uh, that I showed you earlier. So her voice and her quotes are being heard even through the, the lower 48 Native American population and written in journals, you know, halfway across the U.S. Or in the, uh, and actually, there was one in German. Too. You know, I'd seen that too, and I don't, I don't recall if that was a somebody's. Was it was basically that that same uh, the quote regarding the uh, the bears and the animals being protected more than the native. You know, and when it boils down to it, and yeah, I, uh, in doing some internet research, I remember that had come up too. It was all written out in German. I don't know if it was a German university professor or something. If I don't, if I'm not mistaken, it might have been somebody else that it. Yeah, actually use that same quote, too, uh, you know, of course, halfway across the world uh, in some of their articles and stories they'd done. So, of course, I can't read German, so I don't know what the rest of the, you know, uh, the article was about. But, uh, yeah, they put that particular quote in uh, in English in the article. And, uh, yeah, it was pretty moving, too, to see that her voice was and her thoughts were so far and wide, uh, you know, in their scope all around the world, basically. Do you think there's something that they would be surprised about that what's happened, what's come forth today, that maybe they didn't envision happening back around the turn of the century? Well, I myself think of what civil rights would still be fighting the same way. Civil rights is what brought things up. This discrimination uh, didn't do any good. The bill they signed in 45. But another bit of good to the Indians. Like I went to school being an Indian, went through the service being an Indian, got out being an Indian, couldn't get in any place. That much that we wanted to. And uh, till civil rights come in, which wasn't too long ago. But I still <laughs> think we'd still be fighting Petersburg if it wasn't for civil rights. <laughs> Amy would be surprised. I mean, I don't think racism is gone, and I don't think sexism is gone. I think that, you know, women still struggle in the workplace, but I think that she would be proud that there are um, many more Alaska Native people who have um, continued um, out of of high school onto trades and professions. Um, I think she'd be proud of the young women that have continued on and have law degrees and are helping tribal people today, um, much like um, the founders of the Alaska Native Brotherhood did back in 1912. I think that would surprise her, maybe. Maybe that was her vision always. I think when I think of people like Amy Hollingstead and 
and Elizabeth Pradovich. And gosh, when you read through some of these other documents, there were many other women and, and men who were um, very active in um, believing in the equality of all men uh, and women, of all people. Um, it's true. I brought that up at a meeting one time when they had that other, my mom tried to reach one of them, put them back. And I told the people there was a lot of others that did a lot of work that they wasn't recognized. They just picked a few, I mean, you know. But I think it was very courageous I mean, I think if there was any quality that I would look at these people and want to um, see how what their work meant to me today personally, I would say that the example of being courageous and believing in the right, sometimes at, better, at a very big cost. That and what, what kind of cost? Well, I mean, if you think about the signs in the windows that said no natives or dogs allowed, that was the consciousness of those people at at that time. And and people like Amy and Anne Elizabeth um, faced a total social consciousness that was very racist. And yet they were gracious and courageous in taking the steps to move that consciousness into something else. Um, so um, I think one of the quotes that Elizabeth Pradovich was said to have made to the legislature was that, um, you know, if we pass this, do you think this this bill of ending Jim Crow, um, do you think it will eliminate racism? And she said, well, you have laws against um, larceny and burglary and all those things, um, has it stopped that? No, it, it didn't, but perpetuating the, you know, Jim Crow laws um, was never going to bring any good. It had to change in order to bring good. And I think that the courage to face so many um, um, people who held that belief system and speak the truth and hold yourself you know, um, with grace and dignity against all of the people who treated you that way was very courageous, you know, uh, very courageous. And I think that, um, you know, I would like my daughters to look at their lives and the, and the choices that they make and be courageous to make a change or to stand by something that is right. What do you guys think is still a part of that initial vision of Elizabeth and Amy, what they saw, where they wanted the vision of where they wanted to see the people be? What still needs to be worked on to this day? Equality is what they worked for, but it isn't there yet. This show is dedicated to the memory of Amy Hollingstead and her son Jonas, 
Thank you for joining us today. This has been an edited version of Jonas Hollingstead's Listening Project. You can listen to the whole interview at the Public Library's website at www.psglib.org.